Hello and welcome to episode 223 of the Water Space Land podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. Hey T, how's it going? It's going well. It's uh, 8.30 p.m. my time and the snow is piling up rapidly here in New York and I'm just, you know, we live right on the corner, on a corner mm-hmm. of, uh, of a street and so it's a lot of sidewalk to have to shovel. And so, yeah, I'm just not looking forward to going out there. So I'm going to have a couple beers and then uh, just go out there a little bit lit and just uh, <laughs> just plow through it, literally. <laughs> I've never had shoveled snow in my life. Uh, but Shocking would... that the Malaysian girl has <laughs> never had to shovel snow in her life. Yes, I'm. that is some breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... It didn't snow in New Zealand while I was there either, you know, right like enough, where, right. where I was anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so what do you tell, before we get into our guest for this week, what do you tell our audience what uh, you've been up to? Sure. Uh, you know, well, I'm always touting my talented young journalists, uh, the work that they do. And Wei Shen's, uh, Josephine's, Reb's, Joanna's, Max, Ahmad, Marella's. I think I got everybody there. Hopefully, um, <laughs> I think you did too. <laughs> but today, let's uh, let's take a quick look at mine. Uh, I, I put up two stories this week. Well, three uh, if you count my column, my Sunday column. But uh, first, uh, we did a little a deep dive profile of ICE and their fixed income division uh, through data services. Um, after uh, just a bunch of acquisitions that started with IDC in 2015, then there was S&P's index business, uh, Bank of America had something in there, uh, TMC, I can't remember uh, everything off the top of my head, Bond Point, I think. Anyway, they they were they were acquiring a bunch, and then uh, they decided, all right, let's now integrate these. So it's kind of a, a real deep look at their kind of integration and interoperability movement uh, for their fixed income offering and how they'll you know look to challenge the likes of Bloomberg, Refinitiv, um, uh, IHS Market, uh, who's now bought by S&P. So that's a good one. Um, spoke with several people for that, so check that out. And the other one is on SS&C Advent. Similarly, um, they were acquired by SS&C Technologies, Advent Software. Uh, the Geneva platform, very, you know, fairly ubiquitous buy side uh, platform. Uh, so, again, they're going to, they talk about how they only have one piece. Genesis, uh, part of the Advent crew, Genesis was built cloud native. Everything else is batch processing, hard install, though they can do um, hosted servicing. So, their future state is in the cloud and it's going to be a long-term process to turn this kind of ship around. But so they talk about where they hope to be in a couple of years um, as they move Moxie, APX, Geneva uh, to the cloud. So yeah, good stuff, hopefully. Yeah, that sounds good. And it's kind of in line, well, SSNC's, uh, your piece on SSNC anyway, it's in line with what uh, uh, our, our guest talks Who about. Who is our guest? Today. Our guest for this week is none other than uh, Likit Wagley. He is the general manager of global banking at IBM, and we talk about um, how firms, you know, have been approaching cloud and containerization uh, services. So this is kind of an extension of the story that uh, we wrote about, um, or that I wrote about. <laughs> Not we. Uh, you get to now highlight your there. story. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that we put up. Um, I think was it two weeks ago. Uh, oh, yeah, some something like that. 
anyway, so uh, um, we talk about some of the challenges that some firms experience, some of the things that they should be aware of. Um, you know, and one he he said that you know the cloud story can be pretty seductive, you know, but firms do need to carefully think about the cloud capacity they need. Because I think earlier early in the year there were um, quite a few like articles that came out. Um, uh, well, on other websites and stuff, but uh, on news outlets, that you know people are getting shocking cloud builds, and they didn't realize like, oh, this instance they need to be running like twenty four seven and so forth. So we've written yeah. stories about that in the past. The reason why we didn't work that is just because we've covered that as water technology. Mm. We've been deep diving that for a long time. So anyway, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then we yeah, we wrap up talking about the end of the year and moving into next year. Yeah, awesome. So Tony, this is going to be our last episode of the year and we're going to take a short break and be back in the new year. So hopefully you had a happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas and a happy new year ahead. Happy new year, year 2021. See ya. All right. And this week we're joined with Likid, who's the General Manager of Global Up Banking at IBM. Hey Likid, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks very much indeed, uh, Weishan. I'm absolutely fantastic. Great to be a part of this discussion. And I hear that uh, you've you've actually tuned into some of our previous. I have indeed, yes, and which is why uh, you know really um, very pleased that you've invited me onto this, and uh, very, you know looking forward to our conversation. Maybe to kickstart it all. I mean, some of, many banks actually have their work, uh, some of their workloads on the cloud already, so. Um, in when you talk to uh, when you talk to the industry and some of your clients, you know how how should they go about migrating more of their workloads onto the cloud, be it private or public or secure public cloud clouds? That's a great uh, question, Rishan. And I think the point that you make is a good one, right? Which is if you go if you go down around the kind of banking industry, and we did a survey of this. Uh, quite recently, over ninety percent of uh, the banks around the world. Uh, are already, uh, you know, engaged with cloud as a fundamental part of that strategy. Uh, having said that, if you look at the, uh, uh, you know, the the percentage of workloads that they've been able to move to the cloud, uh, it's been relatively very small. And the reason for that is exactly the points that I think you were alluding to, right? Which is uh, most of the banks, uh, you know, operate. In fact, all of the banks operate in a regulatory. Uh, framework where they've got to comply with those particular regulations and increasingly at the moment what you're starting to find is that there's an additional level of complexity that has been introduced through data privacy right so uh, with Europe starting out with GDPR and then a number of the other uh, economies around the world are looking at something uh, very similar privacy and data regulations is another piece that makes it difficult for banks particularly uh, you know, when you're talking about sensitive data, to be able to put that particular data onto the onto the uh, public cloud. So I think if you set that as a kind of context in terms of the challenge, and you kind of look at the other side of the equation, um, I think when you look at um, banks, you know, if, if very much on the financial market side as well, as they're starting to address the issues and the challenges that they're facing from a perspective of the quality of service that they need to give to their customers. And secondly, when you look at the levels of cost that they need to get down to, then as we discussed, um, you know, when we spoke last time around, um, you know, the, the status quo is, is not going to actually get them to where they need to get to, right? I mean, most of the banks, I think once this, um, 
um, uh, you know, you know, at the moment what's kind of happening is that because of the volatility in the markets, uh, banks, particularly the financial markets companies, have really profited from that volatility. And I think you're looking at levels of profitability in the banks, which is much, much higher than I think anybody was expecting when the pandemic started. Once that volatility starts to settle down and financial markets trading income start to go back to what would be expected in a kind of normal, sustainable way, uh, you know, the expectation is that uh, you know, returns of returns on equity are going to be badly hit as a result of the impact of the pandemic. Right, low low economic growth, low interest margins, uh, low levels of activity, and and in fact, some of the forecasts I have seen suggest that return on equity could fall as as low as five percent for financial markets companies. Right, and 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 you know, the minimum they need to get to is ten percent. Right, so this is why I think we're making the point around the need to re the need to. Re so. If I said that as a kind of second point to the context, right, going back then to your specific question on cloud, I think our assertion is that whilst today the architecture that banks are looking at is um, something like between 10 to 10 to 15 percent of their workloads are sitting on public cloud or they're targeting to move to public cloud, right? They need to get into an environment where that 10 to 15 percent is actually going to increase to 50 to 60 percent which means that they've got to be able to move another 40 to 50% of their workloads onto, onto the public cloud. Now, that is essential in order to give them, I think, I think the things that we need to think about is that that's going to be essential to give them the level of agility and flexibility that they require to be able to provide the type of customer experience that their customers are demanding, the type of service that their customers are demanding. It will also give them uh, the reductions in cost, and I can come back to you in a minute as to where those reductions in cost come from, right? We'll also give them the reductions in cost that are necessary to take between 25 to 40% out of their operating uh, and technology costs, which is going to be essential to compensate for that fall in return on equity that we just we just kind of mentioned, right? So, so really the architecture of the future is going to look something like 10 to 15 on traditional public cloud, uh, in other 40-ish um, percent sitting on a secure public cloud that meets the data privacy and the regulatory requirements, and then the balance of it, you know, sitting on premise and sitting but on a much more modernized infrastructure, right, with uh, open source and and kind of new new languages. So when you're when you're kind of looking at um, uh, the, the the bank's kind of strategy, I think the way they need to think about it is. You know, very much uh, using you know two main metrics, right? The first metric is, you know, within the context of my strategy, uh, you know, where is this workload best placed in order to deliver what I need to deliver from a customer service perspective, right? And you can use that as a yardstick to be able to go through, uh, you know, the different workloads that you have and prioritize them. And there's some very good frameworks, right? I mean, the one that we work with is an industry framework which is called BIAN, B-I-A-N. It's, uh, it's an industry body that uh, you know, involves a number of the banks and it also involves a number of consulting companies and software providers. And, and I think they have come up with a really good model that kind of sets out you know, what, a, uh, what a bank's uh, you know, different components look like within the kind of technology space, right? So you can go through each one of those components and you know, use the strategic lens around customer service is one way of prioritizing the workloads, right? And then I think the second way, once you've done that, would be to look at, so what are the implications for cost? 
and what are the implications for, for risk, right? So we'd, we'd essentially develop a matrix which would give you the workload that's probably going to be the most critical for you from a customer service perspective is, is also going to make a meaningful contribution to cost and balance that against uh, you know, the complexity and risk that's involved, right? You, you know, in order to get to a quick time to value, you want to be able to go for those uh, that, that actually meet your strategic objectives but are not the most complex uh, to, move, to move across because complexity is going to take time, right? Right. So what are, give us some examples, um, you know, of those that would be ready to just migrate easily to uh, to public cloud and from an institutional uh, bank or an investment bank kind of uh, point of view. Yeah, so so the way in which I would look at this, um, uh, Wei Shen, is, um, and, and this is, a, um, you know, this, this is, um, you know, really highlighting some of the work that we've been doing out of IBM, right? So, you know, based upon um, um, you know, a very specific inquiry that we had from uh, Bank of America, we've kind of developed this controls framework, which we have now incorporated into the IBM public cloud. We're calling it the IBM uh, cloud for uh, financial services. This is now a secure public cloud with the controls, both from a regulatory perspective, as well as from a um, uh, from a data privacy perspective that are built into the cloud. And not only are they built into the cloud, you've got kind of continuous uh, compliance, right? So what that's actually doing is it's giving you a secure public cloud that can be used for the banks to be able to migrate their, their uh, mission-critical workloads to this particular cloud. So the so first part of the answer we sent to you is that I think we now have a public cloud can, that can be used for the bank to and, and again, just going back to the point that you were making that I was making earlier on, um, you know, the ones that get migrated would really be very dependent on the strategy of the bank, and they're going to differ from bank to bank depending on where they're where they're actually focusing, right? But one area that we're doing a lot of work with our clients around is that is in the entire kind of corporate lending space, because I think as you kind of look at, um, you know, you you kind of look at the landscape going forward. Um, you know, what a number of the uh, banks uh, are looking at, particularly on the kind of corporate side of that bank, is, is around, you know, how are they going to win in the lending space, right? And, and, and they are, they're really going through this process on, of kind of reimagining their entire <clears throat> way that they kind of do the lending process, the applications that are supporting those, that particular lending, and then wanting to land those particular applications which have been modernized onto uh, the cloud platform, right? So, so you know, as far as from a strategic perspective, I think I think that is an area that we're recommending to a number of banks because I think ultimately, you know, if you look at when I, and then again when we go back to you know what's a much more sustainable norm, uh, you know, the banks that are going to be truly successful are going to be the ones that have got a very successful lending business, right, into the corporate space. That's very much going to be. Uh, you know, the, the make or break in terms of success with all, a lot of the kind of ancillary services around it, right? Whether that's trade finance, whether that's working capital, <clears throat> it's, you know, whether it's um, raising money on the bond market, but the entire kind of lending space, uh, you know, we see as being absolutely critical for the industry. So that's one area where, where I think you would see a number of applications uh, moving on to the public cloud, which has not been possible so far. <clears throat> 
Okay, that's that's interesting. So that when when it comes to maintaining uh, cloud architecture, you know, versus a legacy IT architecture, you know, what are some of the potential um, challenges with maybe having um, uh, an architecture that's more on 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 the cloud versus on premise? So, um, so Vishen, I think this has got two or three dimensions to it, right? I mean, I think the first dimension to it is that it's becoming very clear from the from the regulators that they're worried about com concentration risk, right? So what the regulators are looking at is they are not uh, prepared to have a, an, a situation where a bank is putting, uh, you know, all of its workloads into one public cloud, right? So, so that immediately means that a cloud architecture is going to be a multi-cloud architecture, so it's going to involve more than one uh, provider of those the, of those cloud capabilities, right? So I think I think that's one kind of key issue. I think the second key issue, which is very much coming from the industry, and I absolutely understand this, with you know the speed at which technology is moving, uh, you know the banks do not want to be locked into something that's going to be. Uh, completely proprietary and it's going to prevent them from making changes that they may need to because technology has moved on, right? So open, I think, is the other part of this, right? So, you know, our point of view on this, uh, Vishen, is that the architecture of the future needs to be a open, hybrid, multi-cloud platform, right? So, so, um, and I just kind of repeat it, it needs, it needs to be open, it needs to be multi-cloud, and it needs to be hybrid, right? And what I mean by hybrid is it would have these three components to it that we talked about, right? The, um, the traditional public cloud component, the secure public cloud component, and then the architecture that's still going to sit on-premise, which could be a combination of private cloud uh, and um, you know mainframe type of uh, systems, right? So you so you're now going from an environment where uh, you know in terms of management, you know you had a small amount of your workload and, and and in fact not your most important workload sitting on public cloud, you know ten to fifteen percent, and then everything else was being managed in house, uh, you know within your firewalls, you know on a on a uh, private cloud or on on premise, right? Uh, you're moving from that to a completely different architecture where there's very substantial amount of your workloads are going to be sitting outside of your firewall and is actually going to be sitting in different environments, right? So kind of manage, managing across those different architectures, I think, is one very important implication, right? So cloud management, architecture management is going to be very different now as compared to where it was uh, before, and it's it's actually managing across different players, which is also going to bring a level of complexity, right? Mm. I think I think the second part of this is going to be in the regulatory environment, right? Because, uh, you know, the regulators are going to continuously want to test that um, the workloads that are being put onto the public cloud, you know, meet the regulatory requirements, right? Meet the data privacy requirements. They don't want to have scenarios like what happened with Capital One, where there was that data breach and a lot of data got put into the public environment. They just do not want that sort of thing to happen, right? They do not want, um, you know, there have been instances recently, uh, you know, where uh, cloud providers have had outages, which have meant that banking capabilities like internet banks have not been available to customers for a long period of time. Right? They just absolutely do not want that to happen. So I think in reality, 
what the regulators are going to look for is something which you know we believe is going to be continuous monitoring. So in other words, you know, a regulator may ask a, a question around your compliance posture, and I think they will want an answer in real time, right? So the traditional way in which audits got done, where a regulator came in, they asked their questions, you spent some time putting the data together, or you had a data room that they could look at, and then they, you know, they kind of made up their mind. I don't think it's going to work like that at all, right? What's going to happen now is they're going to want uh, the the answer to the question that they're asking to be in real time, to be instantaneous, right? So that again has implications in terms of is is your cloud capability? This is what we built into the IBM cloud. Is the cloud capability of demonstrating the compliance posture on a real time basis, right? So I think that's the second one. I think the third one that I would particularly call out is. Um, uh, is, is around uh, a security and cybercrime, right? Uh, there's no question about the fact that there's been a step change in the level of attacks that banks are facing in the kind of post in the kind of pandemic environment, right? And whilst um, you know, arguably, um, you know, most of the cloud providers would suggest that you know their uh, cloud capabilities are more secure than uh, you know, some of the capabilities that banks may have in-house, and you know, that's subject to argument, that is certainly something the regulators will test. Right? They will want to make sure that if you are putting um, sensitive workloads outside of the bank's firewall, then um, you know, that, that those workloads are going to be protected from cybercrime, from fraud, uh, uh, you know, uh, to, 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 a, to a level that's going to be absolutely necessary. So I see those as being the kind of three main implications. Okay, and you talked about uh, cloud management, and the thing is with, as you, as you mentioned, uh, the regulators are beginning to worry um, with, with a concentration risk, right? And so they are demanding uh, the, the banks that they have multiple cloud providers, I guess. They use multiple cloud providers. And so not only from the cost perspective, but it's it's already complicated enough to manage like which workloads go to which cloud, uh, which type of cloud, A, and then B, which cloud provider, and then C, you know, how do I switch from one cloud to another cloud very easily? And, you know, obviously it comes with a cost too. So I mean, what is the uh, optimal way for firms to, you know, keep on top of their cloud expenditure? And you know, some some workloads don't need to be running twenty four seven, for example. Um, so, you know, is there an optimal way for firms to do that? Uh, absolutely, and um, and and I think again, Vishen, I think there are kind of three three components to factor into this into this particular uh, uh, analysis, right? I mean, I think the one thing to be uh, careful about is that the cloud story, even if I say so myself, right, can be pretty seductive because the, you know, the overall proposition that you are, if I've been very simplistic about it, that you're, you are, you know, you're providing to a client is you're saying, look, you know, you can, you can tap into additional capacity when you need it. You don't have to have it sitting redundant in your, in your own organization, right? So if you didn't have a cloud capability, a bank has to invest in very large mainframe systems that they may be using only, um, you know, uh, for very short periods of time in, in the year, but they've got to invest in it and it's kind of sitting on that floor and it's completely uh, redundant, right? Whereas the cloud story is, you know, you can switch on 
whenever you need it with no problem at all, any additional capacity that you need, and then you pay for that additional capacity only when uh, you, you kind of use it, right? That's, that's the overall, that's the overall proposition. What a few clients have actually found is that the way in which they have structured uh, the deals that they've done with cloud providers have not taken into account in a really rigorous way, you know, what their requirements for that additional capacity are going to be. Uh, because when you do ask for the additional capacity, uh, it tends to be pretty expensive. So if you have not thought that through carefully and you end up you know, using the additional capacity much, much more than you had expected to do, then you know, the costs that you were expecting uh, uh, you know, from a kind of cloud-based strategy tends to be a lot higher than you were other, otherwise expecting. So I think, I think the first part of the piece, Weishen, is you know, being very, uh, consider, you know, very, to consider very carefully you know, what your capacity requirements are going to be and, and make sure that that is structured carefully in the contract that you're signing with the cloud provider, right? I mean, that would be a fundamental issue. I think the, sec the second point that I would make is that, um, uh, I, I, you know, like, like, like most of these things, right, you, sh you, you know, our very strong recommendation to clients is that you should be driving this, uh, you know, from a perspective that's strategically more important as opposed to just, uh, you know, what you think may be a short, short-term cost-benefit, right? So what I mean by that is, going back to the question that we talked about right at the start, you know, look carefully as to where is the most appropriate place for your workload to go, as opposed to turning around and saying, I'm going to put my workload on this particular cloud because it just sounds as if it's going to be cheaper, right? Because if you put your workload onto the wrong type of cloud and you end up, as I say, using much more capacity than you actually need it, uh, you know, from a cost perspective, uh, that's going to not give you the equation you're looking for. And also from an agility perspective, you'll find you haven't achieved your objective, right? So it's really important to make sure that, you know, you're putting the workload onto the most appropriate cloud, right? And there are very, you know, there are pretty comprehensive criteria that, you know, we're working with clients on in order for it to assess where it needs to go, right? So I think that's the second part of the equation. And I think the third and probably most important part of the equation, Wishen, is that ultimately the reduction in migration to cloud, a very, very large chunk of that comes from the rationalization of applications. If you look at a typical banking business today, and particularly on the investment banking side, I would assert that they've probably got at least 30 to 40% applications that they don't need, right? So, so, you know, we're working with some banks that have got, you know, somewhere between 1,200 to 1,400 applications, and the target is to go down to somewhere like 800 to 600 applications, right? And the reason why you've got that situation is because there is the incredible amount of duplication, right? Banking businesses, particularly on the investment banking side, are very siloed, and every time a trader or, or somebody in the investment bank, you know, wants a particular application, uh, and, and they want a feature to that application that's particularly bespoke to them, you know, banks have gone out and built an application specifically for that particular business, right? So you've got this multiplicity of applications sitting in the organization, a huge amount of duplication. Now, I think if you, if all you do is take those, that duplication, that multi multiplicity of applications, you just move that onto 
the, 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 the kind of public cloud, you're not going to achieve the cost reduction that you're looking for, right? So what right. is really important as a part of this exercise is to look at what am I going to do around modernizing those applications? Go through the equation around, you know, which applications, uh, you know, need to be replaced, which applications need to be modernized, and most importantly, which applications need to be sunset. So that the estate that you're looking to move onto the, you know, the, the, the new hybrid infrastructure is actually that rationalized app, uh, infra, uh, application set, not the 1200, but the 800 applications, right? And this is why the migration to cloud, which and the biggest challenge in it is not the technology, right? The biggest challenge is the cultural change, the business change that needs to happen within the bank, right? Because the biggest resistance you get to this is the business uh, not being prepared to, um, you know, go through the modernization, rationalization, rationalization exercise that I'm just talking about, right? But that is where the biggest benefit is going to come from, which is why if you look at the banks that have been most successful, these have been enterprise-wide programs and they've been delivered from the top of the organization with a real, you know, with a real uh, impetus to get it done, right? Really, really important for it to succeed. Okay, I'm just curious. I mean, just in terms of the app rationalization um, exercise and it's in itself, and uh, as you mentioned, there are a lot of duplications and uh, uh, banks would need to, or, or any other firm really, um, they would need to look at which apps need to be modernized, which apps need to be sunset. Um, is there a challenge in doing that? Is there a challenge or a cost involved in actually sunsetting um, an application? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I, th I think there are um, there are a couple of costs, right? I mean, the first the first cost is in the is and and this is on the basis of. Uh, let me just take a step back, right? What uh, is happening before you get down to the sunsetting, right? So. Uh, you know, are you are you sunsetting an application purely because it's duplicated, or are you sunsetting an application because you're replacing it with some something else? Right. Generally, what would happen is, uh, let me give you an example. I mean, in in the lending space, right, you may have, and and a very a very good area to talk about in the lending space would be, you know, how you onboard how you onboard a new customer. You look around the corporate banking space, and you find that. You know, banks have you know at least four or five, six different applications that go through the onboarding process, right? Because a, a particular side of the bank may have come up with something which is quite different from another side of the bank. This may be regional as well, right? So the applications that have been used in the U.S. might be quite different from what's been used in 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 Hong Kong, right? So the first part of the piece you need to look at is, uh, you know, if I'm going to go to a single onboarding application, that's going to be a single onboarding application across the bank as a whole. Um, you know, which one am I going to select and, and are there any changes in terms of modernization that needs to happen to that application so that, you know, for the small differences that exist between the different businesses, uh, you know, are those differences important enough and, and am I able to cater for them, right? So there's a cost around modernizing the application that's going to be the go-forward application, right? But then coming to your specific uh, question around rationalization, clearly, there is a cost around sunsetting, closing it down, migrating, you know, the, the 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 kind of data that sits on it. Some of those applications will have customers on it, so there will be a migration cost in terms of migrating those customers off of that application onto the onto the onto the new one, right? So there's absolutely that particular cost. 
And then the one that's probably the one that, uh, you know, provides the most headache is how do you minimize the cost of running the two things concurrently uh, for a period of time, right? Because, because whilst you're doing the migrations, uh, you know, from the, from the application that you're going to sunset to the, to the application that you're going to use going forward, you're going to have two applications running, right? You're going to have the new application that you're going to be using and you're going to have the old application. So, so there, there does, does tend to be some, you know, some kind of concurrent costs between, between the two of them. But this is where I think a number of the providers uh, you know, are coming up with very creative ways in, way, in, 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 in terms of being able to support the banks, right? So, I mean, IBM consistently uh, you know, does um, engagements in this space where we go into the client and we make commitments to the client around that rationalization program um, uh, you know, to, to a set time and we'll make commitments around the cost reductions that we would deliver to the client, you know, through going through that particular uh, process, right? So the, so the savings that they get from the rationalization more than makes up for the cost that's associated with, with sunsetting those applications. Now, even if IBM made those commitments, right, or some other provider made those commitments, uh, I would reiterate this has to be a joint very collaborative exercise between the bank and the, the provider, right? Because for me to be able to execute on my commitment, uh, I do need to get the bank to, uh, you know, stick to the timetable and agenda around modernizing and um, rationalizing those applications, right? So the bank being completely bought into it, the, you know, uh, this thing being socialized carefully with the business, making sure the business understands the value on it, making sure the business is concerns around uh, you know capabilities that they need that those capabilities are being addressed is really really critical to make this happen okay and I just want to come back to one of your earlier points on like um, when we were talking a lot about uh, multi multi cloud providers um, you know when you said something about it, it the the banks need to be really clear about when they are structuring their contracts you know with the cloud providers so maybe maybe could you give me an example of how um, IBM cloud for financial services the cloud that you've uh, created with or that you've built with Bank of America you know how have you um, how are you going to be dealing with some of these contracts you know in, in terms of like the flexibility of maybe structuring them and maybe um, you know if and as you mentioned earlier you know sometimes it's really expensive if you want to add on new capabilities after the contract has already been drawn right so are there any like workarounds uh, on that or maybe lessons that um, you and Bank of America have learned from the other I guess experiences of uh, using other cloud providers, and how are you kind of implementing that in IBM Cloud for financial services? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I would particularly call out, Rishen, is that you know we we are um, working with our clients, and this is around the world, right? With with what's a pretty tightly coupled, I wouldn't call it integrated, but a tightly coupled capability that brings together you know, the advisory side of what IBM can provide together with the platform that IBM can provide, right? So right from the right from the outset, you know, what we are uh, talking to clients about are, are kind of assessments, right? In terms of where are they in their uh, cloud journey, looking at the, you know, applications that they have, we're using things like the Bayern framework in order to be able to, you know, provide a, uh, you know, a roadmap for the client, right? In terms of, you know, if they were looking to get to that architecture that I was describing, right? 20, 
maybe 40 on 20% on traditional cloud, 40% on secure cloud, and then the balance on premise. Uh, you know, what what would the disposition of that particular bank's um, bank's uh, workloads look like across the, that architecture, right? So using a buy and type of framework, you know, um, our recommendation working together with the client is to wear those those uh, particular applications uh, ought, 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 to, ought to go in a roadmap to make that happen, the steps that are going to be needed, the costs that would be associated with that particular program, right? So that that's actually providing the bank with a pretty comprehensive view of, you know, what's going to happen to their applications that they can then use in order to look very comprehensively as to what their kind of cloud strategy needs to be, right? That that would be that would be where we would go, uh, you know, with with some of the banking clients that are kind of starting starting from scratch, right? But that's not where that's not where clients are. I mean, you know, a lot of clients are already, um, you know, some way down the journey, right? They have made some decisions as to what. Uh, they want to put onto the uh, onto the traditional cloud providers, and in those in those instances, we're working very specifically with those clients. I mean, our consulting capabilities within IBM can help those clients with the workloads that they might want to put onto an AWS or a Google or a Microsoft. It doesn't have to go onto the IBM cloud for us to be able to work with our clients, right? We'd we'd, we'd work with them. Uh, irrespective of where the workload is actually going to go to, right? And then we're starting to work with those clients around other uh, workloads and what they want to do, what, what would be optimal for them to do in that space. And then the final piece I would say is that, um, in, in particularly with the bigger banks, you know, we're going at it in, in the form of the vertical I described earlier on, right? Because uh, a number of them would, would find it very difficult to take an enterprise-wide view because it's it'll be enormous and it'll be very complex. So then we are picking a vertical like, for instance, the lending vertical and looking at um, you know the implications for that lending vertical from a from a transformation and then a cloud perspective, right? Hmm. Okay, and and one thing that we talked about um, for for the article that we've already put out. Um, that could really help or um, kind of like, I guess it's a marriage between the two, um, uh, which is containers. And just basically that would, I mean, we know the benefits of containers. You'd be able to move workloads from one cloud to the other or to on-premise, off-premise um, and so on. You know, so, but um, maybe let's take a, a slightly different view today. You know, what are the downsides or like the risks of using containerization services like uh, Docker or Kubernetes? What do firms or the banks need to be aware of, you know, before uh, deciding what type of workloads they should put into uh, these services? Yeah, so I think that's a great question again, uh, Wishin. And, and, you know, this this is one of the areas where, you know, things have kind of moved on quite fast, right? So I think it'd be it'd be fair to say today, uh, that you know, Kubernetes is very much becoming, as I want to almost go far as to say, it's becoming the de facto standard in this place, right? So, so people are using Kubernetes for their containerization strategy as opposed to as opposed to Docker. Um, I think the I think the two or three things that I would I would kind of call out in this area, right? I think I think one is a lot of the technology in this space is open source technology. This is another another kind of place where it becomes very attractive because you know open source um, is seen to be you know fast moving, uh, gives the banks the ability to stay you know at the edge of the technology progression curve, 
Um, it, it also attracts a lot of developers because they like to work with open source technology. There are a number of reasons as to why open source is very attractive, right? But open source does have some major downsides. I mean, one is, um, you know, you've got, you've got to make sure that the technology that you are using open source is, uh, you know, consistent with the regulatory requirements, right? I mean, this is a big issue within the, within the industry. You've got to make sure that it is sufficiently secure, right? Another very major issue within within the industry, and therefore, um, you know, the role that we're playing, uh, particularly, you know, since the Red Hat acquisition, is where we're marrying for our clients the advantages of open source, you know, together with, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of call it solidifying that open source technology, so that the client can feel very comfortable that it does meet the regulatory requirements. It does meet uh, the security requirements and also the effort that's going to be necessary to keep it being compliant is something which is being looked after, right? Because otherwise, keeping compliant is another area. I mean, it may be very attractive to talk about open source at the outset, but if you've got to, if you're going to invest yourself in keeping it compliant, you know, rather like the cloud discussion we were having around cost um, earlier on, whilst the initial cost may seem very low that compliant cost soon acts up and the whole proposition becomes uneconomic, right? So, so that, that is one risk area and, 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 and there are a number of providers, Red Hat being a really significant one that, that's actually making that, making that happen. I think the second risk area, right, is, uh, is, is the point that you made around interoperability, right? Which is, uh, you know, if you go with versions of the container that are bespoke or being developed by a particular cloud provider, the issue that you have is that in reality, you cannot move those workloads from cloud to cloud, right? So, so you know, you again have to look at a, a mode of container that genuinely is cloud agnostic and enables you to move those cloud, you know, those workloads to whichever cloud you, you want to move them to, right? And this is again where I would really call out the benefit of Red Hat, right? Because what Red Hat OpenShift does is it is completely cloud agnostic, right? So if you look at where workloads are being placed today, not just in the banking industry, but across industries as a whole, I mean, they've got a major presence in the telco industry as well. You will find that there's substantial workload going on to AWS, going on to Google, going on to Microsoft, and coming on to IBM, and a substantial amount of workload staying on premise as well but in a containerized form, right? So in that case, you genuinely have a container capability that is, that is able to go across, um, you know, whichever cloud you want, want to go across. And you know, what clients are saying to me more and more, right, is, you know, whether, whether or not uh, they really need the ability to switch from one cloud to another uh, is something that, you know, is going to become apparent, whether that's a, of real benefit at some stage in the future, right? Today, what they're really worried about is they want to be able to use a container that enables them to put their workloads onto the most appropriate cloud, right? They don't want to be in a situation where, you know, they're being forced onto putting their workloads onto a particular cloud because they want to use a certain container, right? So, so they don't want to use. They don't want to be in a position to be, say, and I'm just using this illustratively, right? A Google container format, which would then mean that they have to put the workload only on Google, right? They want a container capability that would enable them to put that workload on Google if Google is the right um, 
cloud to put it on, but they might want to put it on some other cloud if that would be the better better place for it to go, right? Okay, and I'm just curious. I mean, in terms of like maybe development work from from a developer standpoint, is there what what is the work that's involved from their point of view and when when they you know use containers? Is is there a difference when it comes to uh, different containers, um, different containers services, uh, or or um, not not at all from a developer's standpoint? Well, you see, from a from a developer standpoint, I mean, I think what they're looking for is you know something which is going to be really simple, really easy to use, and it's not going to be completely complex, very complicated, right? And and that is where there are you know major adva major advances because if you look at these kind of DevOps. Um, uh, cycle, you know, you know, chains, DevOps chains, they are now uh, properly automated with the kind of containerized solution that's supporting that DevOps chain already built into the automated process, right? So, so a, a developer doesn't particularly have to worry about what it, what the containerization solution is that they're actually using, right? I mean, I think we, I think they just need to make sure that you know it's working in the kind of way. That they would need it to need it to work. So it's taking a lot of the complexity uh, out of out of out of that. Also, from an organization's perspective, what it's doing is it's giving the developer the flexibility, um, uh, uh, you know, that they need in order to be truly innovative. Right? It's not act, it's not actually uh, curtailing their ability to be innovative by you know them having to worry about decisions that are not really going to assist in that innovation process. Right? So I think that's an area where. Things have advanced a lot. I think the life for developers become very much better now than what it was even a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So uh, just before I let you go, I mean, we're well, we're well into December now, heading towards Christmas and New Year's. Although it's been uh, quite a weird year. Um, you know, before we close out, you know, what uh, what are your, I guess, your hopes for the end of this year and then moving to next year? You know, you're, you're absolutely right, Wish, and it's been a really weird year, right? I mean, when I was kind of um, uh, looking back, um, you know, like I said to you before, I mean, I, um, you know, in terms of timing, it was incredible. I came to New York just as the pandemic was uh, was coming down here. So my New York, you know, experience has been, you know, very much confined to apartment and, you know, remote working and, and very limited, um, you know, um, benefit of the kind of New York scene, right? Uh, but but the thing that was quite incredible is I've not been on a plane since you know the middle of February. Whereas you know right up to then, you know I used to be on a, because I was based out of Singapore. My you know I used to be on a long haul flight almost twice a week, right? So that kind of contrast has been has been huge. I think I think the the main hope, um, primary hope would be that you know the the battle against the uh, the pandemic you know with the vaccine right at the core of it is is successful and we can kind of progressively you know, go back to, um, you know, getting together, meeting families, meeting colleagues, meeting, um, you know, business clients, um, you know, from about the spring of next year. I mean, I was watching the cricket in Sydney the other day, and it was fantastic to see, you know, everybody turning up at the cricket ground. You know, it didn't look as if the pandemic had been there at all, right? I mean, they're starting to get back to what looks like a much more uh, normal existence. I think from a business perspective, you know, my real hope for, for the banks um, uh, is going to be that this kind of accelerates the digitization, right? Many, many of the banks have not made as much progress as they should have done because there just hasn't been that kind of impetus to do it, right? Now, I think when you look at this kind of dual 
um, you know, dual pressure coming from the customer who's got very, very much more used to the convenience of digital, and then the other one around the kind of cost uh, that that the banks are going to have to get down to as a result of the the kind of economic challenges we're going to face for some time. My real hope is that you know banks become digital businesses. Right? Okay, well, thank you very much for uh, your chat with me today. I really appreciate having you on, and um, I'm sure we'll, we'll get you on in the near future as well. Thank you very much, Nikit. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Vaishan, and it was a real pleasure talking to you. I thoroughly enjoyed that discussion.